CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. What happens if the very measures designed to keep you safe from COVID-19 put you at risk for another deadly health crisis? The worldwide fight against the virus has put many who are already struggling with mental health and addiction issues on an unprecedented and deadly collision course with toxic street drugs. This young man is struggling to survive a national health crisis. When you're not happy with the way you're living or with, with, with what life is, an escape is what you're looking for. He hasn't tested positive for COVID-19. Instead, he's in a fight with another deadly opponent that has claimed thousands of lives. I felt my body shutting down and my depression was so bad that I thought about killing myself multiple times a day. I So whether it was dying from the drugs or dying from, from depression, it was, it, was, it was gonna happen. In the last five years, more than 18,000 Canadians have died from drug overdoses. But the impact of COVID-19 has sent the overdose rate into overdrive. Tonight, the alarming surge of coronavirus in Canada. Everyone must stay home to save lives. Once COVID hit, uh, it, it changed everything. Everything, including the shutdown of the Canada-US border, that disrupted the illegal drug supply. And so what is on the street is more contaminated than ever, as dealers mix in other ingredients to stretch their supply. At the same time, many who were already struggling with addiction and depression have been pushed deeper into despair by the lockdown. It was the isolation. It was, you know, the fact also that my life changed 100%. My job industry shut down. Sean is a carpenter who has a company that stages outdoor events. He was a recreational drug user before COVID. His party drug of choice, ketamine, a powerful painkiller and anesthetic. I enjoyed the feeling it gave me and it was a, a place that I didn't feel emotional pain. I felt happy and so when you, when you find something that makes you happy, you chase it, don't you? But with no work, months of isolation and spiraling depression, COVID-19 lockdown took his drug use to a frightening level. And when did that drug that was an escape become a prison for you? When the pandemic basically started, it started off being like, hey, I don't know what to do today. I'm antsy, I'm stuck in my room again or stuck in my house again. I've done arts and crafts for like the 20th day in a row now. What the hell else can I do? I was stagnant, just sitting in still water, just everything I loved was, was not available. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything, I was stuck. I was like, what am I supposed to do with myself? So it leaves me to my own demise and uh, idle hands are the devil's work, they say, right? The devil's work pushed Sean's dabbling with ketamine into a dangerous zone. Instead of snorting on weekends, he began injecting all day, every day, for months. Sean, when you're sitting there looking at a needle about to inject yourself, are you aware that you're playing Russian roulette? Yeah. When you're hurting uh, and you're, or you're depressed or whatever it is, when, you're, when you need to numb out the horrible feelings you're feeling, the fact that Russian roulette is involved, it doesn't bother you because you want an escape. And honestly, dying didn't sound that bad. 
because living was horrendous. With the help of his family, Sean managed to get into online rehab. And when we met him, he'd been clean for three months. Too many of his friends have not been so lucky. Have you ever counted up the number of friends that you've lost to drug overdoses? The other day, we, we were talking rough numbers, and we realized, like, 20, 20 plus, for sure. Do you realize how, how, how wrong that is, that someone of your age would have lost dozens of people who they know to, to drug abuse? It, it really, uh, when you mention it, yes. But as human beings, we get used to things that happen often. Uh, we just become kind of numb to that because every few months, it's another one. Sean lives in Ontario, a province that has seen a shocking 55% increase in the number of overdose deaths in the first nine months of 2020. This is something that is impacting small rural communities all the way up to these large urban centers. And there's no demographic that is being spared. Dr. Tara Gomes is a scientist and principal investigator with the Ontario Drug Policy Research Network. She delved into coroner's investigations and found the disturbing impact that COVID has had on the province's drug deaths. In the first nine months of 2020, there were nearly 1,700 opioid-related deaths across Ontario. And that number in 2019 was just over 1,100. This is a staggering number that you're sharing, a staggering number of lives lost. It is, and only five years ago, we had about 700 opioid-related deaths, and we were astonished at that number. The combination of this overdose epidemic that we've been having with the new COVID-19 pandemic and those really grave consequences. And from the, the data that you've been able to collect, these aren't people who are dying on the streets necessarily. They're dying alone in their homes. Yes. And part of that is because we know that's such a risky place for people. If they are using drugs alone, oftentimes, you know, in, in their homes, um, they don't have somebody there to intervene if they overdose. And so that overdose that could be treated with naloxone or other supportive care and oxygen can't be treated, and so unfortunately they end up dying. Few regions across the country have been spared. The opioid crisis in Alberta has hit a deadly record, and the province has confirmed the highest number of opioid overdose deaths ever. In the first nine months of the pandemic, Alberta has had more people dying from a drug overdose than from COVID. But the West Coast is still the epicenter. On average, five people die every day in British Columbia from drug overdoses. Last summer, just days after his 26th birthday, Morgan Goodridge called his mom. And as he always did before hanging up, he told her he loved her. Morgan was, um, he was an incredible kid and he was the oldest of our three children. He was funny, wore his heart on his sleeve, um, adventurous. We were really, really close. Um, he was just, uh, he lit up the room. He always knew how to get the rise out of a room when he entered it. The next day, Kathleen got another phone call to say that her son had died from a drug overdose. I remember just falling to my knees and just being filled with so much 
I, I couldn't breathe. And I just remember screaming, no, no. It is nice, isn't it? Morgan leaves behind a family who had all been cheering him on as he seemed to get the upper hand over his drug addiction. He was doing so well. Morgan had been clean for five months and was living in a recovery home as part of his rehab. He was at the pool five days a week and he was at the gym four days a week and he had gone from 125 pounds to 195 pounds and um, he just had so much hope. How do you think that COVID impacted his ability to stay clean? I remember him calling me one time and, and he was in tears and he said, Mom, I, I'm really afraid of being institutionalized. I'm, I'm afraid. He was afraid of COVID. I remember the panic in his voice just on, oh my gosh, like he had just got into a routine. Morgan never made it out of the recovery house. He was discovered in his bedroom, dead. <sighs> the worst club to be part of. And the hardest thing that you can imagine, you know, bearing your child and, and knowing that, you know, for me, I have to live my life without him. I have to get old without him. And that's, that's the reality of our life now without him. Five months drug-free, eight days after celebrating his 26th birthday, Morgan had taken a small amount of tainted heroin. It's not straight heroin. Nowadays, it's so toxic, and there's so many things in there. And that he knew, I mean, we had talked about toxic drugs and that they were on the street. He had lost 12 people since March. 12 of his friends had overdosed since March. Since March. Morgan's stepfather, Roy, is a retired police officer. You know, if you're taking drugs, um, there's a very good chance that there's fentanyl, a toxic amount. Before, it was like Russian roulette with one bullet in the chamber, and now it's like Russian roulette with the whole chamber loaded almost. Coming up. The combinations of drugs in these samples are unbelievable. Street drugs laced with deadly chemicals. Right now, they're buying poison on the street and dying. When W5 continues. It's a Christmas like no other for Kathleen Radu and her family. It feels impossible some days. For the first time in 26 years, her son Morgan isn't there, a life lost far too soon. Yesterday was six months, and it was an impossible day to get through. Like many victims in this overdose epidemic, Morgan did not die from taking too many drugs. His mother Kathleen says he died from unwittingly taking contaminated drugs while at a recovery house in Vancouver. What have you learned about the drugs that ended your son's life? The coroner said that when Morgan took it, he took a very small amount um, and probably was um, passed away within about 30 seconds. It was that toxic. The heroin was laced with a toxic dose of fentanyl. And because street drugs don't have an ingredient label, users don't know just what they're taking, and the results can be fatal. 
Oh, it, it's terrifying. People are injecting drugs that they have no idea what's in them, no idea how much of that drug is in them. At St. Michael's Hospital in downtown Toronto, Morning, everyone. Dr. Daniel Berrio and a team of researchers are testing drugs and paraphernalia for their chemical makeup. The samples come directly from the streets. For example, they found that 30% of heroin is contaminated with fentanyl. But what's especially frightening is what fentanyl users are exposed to. A single dose typically has about 5% of the drug. These days, it can be unpredictable, dangerous, and deadly. That's part of the problem, is that the unpredictability of how much of that drug is in the sample. So we're seeing a lot of the times about 5% of fentanyl in, in each of the samples. But on occasion, we'll see as much as 80% of fentanyl is in that sample. So 5% is extremely potent for a seasoned user. If you're talking about an 80% at a random sample that comes in, that's dangerous for everyone. Most street drugs are cut with other ingredients, but researchers are now finding a laundry list of chemicals, including horse muscle relaxants and other veterinary drugs like carfentanil, an opioid 100 times stronger than fentanyl. A dangerous and alarming discovery, 60% of the fentanyl samples tested contain a mixture of not only fentanyl, but a drug called atizolam. Atizolam is a depressant, it's not an opioid, and that means the overdose drug naloxone will not reverse the effects. The combinations of drugs in these samples are unbelievable. You'll run a sample and you'll see seven different drugs in it, and you know three of them are extremely potent so if you are a first-time user, you're, you're just experimenting, you're trying out drugs, it's no longer a beginner's game. Someone that's new to drugs first time, it will be very dangerous. It was more than just dangerous for these Canadians. It was deadly. These beautiful faces, now grim portraits of the lives lost. Leslie McBain is one of the founders of Moms Stop the Harm, a support and advocacy group for families. Going onto your website and scrolling face after face after face of the people who have died of, from toxic drugs, it's, uh, as I'm doing that, I keep thinking, I'm still scrolling. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It is. Nothing chokes me up more than that. Moms Stop the Harm is a national organization with 1,700 members, 1,700 families who've lost their children to drugs. Leslie's only child died from an overdose in 2014. Jordan was just 25. Our kids are dying, and you have to pay attention. Some of the families left behind have staged somber memorials across the country, a haunting reminder of the toll of the opioid overdose crisis. It's really demoralizing. And every month I get the coroner's report and I, I just have to pull myself together and think, okay, 162 families are now in deep grief forever. 162 more than were last month. Yeah, it's, it has huge impact. Moms Stop the Harm not only supports grieving families, the group is also lobbying federal and provincial governments to implement a legal, regulated, safe drug supply. It's an idea that might sound outrageous, but Leslie says we've been here before with alcohol. In the early 1900s, the government prohibited the sale of alcohol. 
what happened? Toxic, toxic alcohol. It killed people, gangs rolled up, uh, people died, and the governments said, okay, this isn't working, let's, let's take it and let's regulate it and sell it legally. Well, people still get addicted, people still die, but it's a safe supply. I can go into about 10,000 different outlets in BC and buy really as much liquor as I want, and, but I know that it won't kill me when I take my first you know, gin and tonic or whatever. It's not gonna kill me the way fentanyl does. This may be one of the solutions to the toxic drug supply in Canada's hardest hit neighborhood, Vancouver's East Side. Launched just over a year ago, the MySafe machine is essentially an ATM that dispenses drugs instead of cash. You, you got your script already today, right? Yeah. The machine is the brainchild of Dr. Mark Tyndall, a 20-year veteran of the drug crisis. He says he can't stop addicts from using drugs, but his machine provides a consistent and safe supply to registered and screened users considered at high risk of overdose. There you go. For now, the pilot project only services a maximum of 20 patients, and Dr. Tyndall personally writes all the prescriptions. I write a regular prescription. Um, it goes to the regular pharmacist. They dispense it in the packages that I want, and then um, myself or a designate gets them from the pharmacy and loads the machine. The drug being dispensed, hydromorphone, an opioid usually prescribed to manage pain. Do you see this as something that should be implemented across the country as part of a solution to this toxic drug supply that we've got in the streets right now? Right now, they're buying poison on the street and dying. I'm an infectious disease public health physician, and I, I, you know, we deal with poisonings and outbreaks. That's kind of what we're, we're supposed to be good at. And uh, to, to decide that uh, there's a poison toxic drug supply out there and not try to address the source doesn't, we wouldn't do that with any other poisoning that's out there. Has anyone called 911 yet? Dr. Tyndall has spent the last 20 years trying to make a difference on the streets in Vancouver. His ongoing battle to save lives from tainted drugs has taken its toll. I mean, um... I think there's a lot of us who, um, you know, feel a bit burnt out. <laughs> about the whole thing. Um, but next door is like somebody's gonna overdose in the next few hours. And, um, and around the corner, somebody's gonna overdose and die because nobody's gonna find them. And so you feel like, you know, we really haven't, uh, you know, made enough of a fuss. Vancouver City Council is though making a fuss. The most important thing is to stop people from dying. An historic and unanimous vote to decriminalize the possession of illegal drugs for personal use, shifting drug use from a crime to a health issue. Without federal approval, this is largely a symbolic vote. It's a move Dr. Tyndall has been pushing for years. He also wants the government to regulate a safe supply of drugs so users don't have to buy poison on the street. People are going to have a very hard time hearing a doctor say, the Canadian government should essentially be the dealer of cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl. Yeah, I can see why people would have trouble with that, but what is the alternative? So we've criminalized these drugs, we've filled our prisons with people who are using these drugs, we've created a massive underground of 
illicit drugs and a massive international cartels. And it hasn't worked. Like, we need to really change it. And now we see with the overdose crisis, literally thousands of people are dying from it. So it's not such a radical idea to me to uh, decriminalize these drugs. It's not radical to the police either. The Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police has endorsed the decriminalization of the personal possession of illicit drugs. After months of pressure, the federal government appears to be willing to at least listen, saying in a statement that it is working with the BC government to identify options. I feel an urgency and, and some satisfaction that I can be an advocate and that I can um, you know, try and be a voice for people who don't really have a voice. Um, but man, um, I've seen a lot of people die. Sean in Toronto has been clean for three months. He's fighting a daily battle to avoid becoming a statistic. I think about doing drugs every single day, and every single day I have to tell myself no. I'm sitting in the car, and, and my head is like, you should go get some drugs, dude. Just go get it's, it's just one time. You're good now. You're OK now. You can do it. You can just do it one time. And I've learned that is not the case. You cannot. For a mother who has already lost a child, the need for change is now. Kathleen Radu doesn't want anyone to go through her agony. I don't understand why people aren't outraged. We talk about COVID numbers every week. Why aren't we talking about toxic drug deaths every week? Why is it not on the forefront of everybody's tongue? This is taking the lives of kids like Morgan in their bedrooms, in families like ours, supportive, loving families that have done everything that they possibly can to help support their children. 20 years ago, Portugal took the radical step of decriminalizing all drugs for personal use. Free treatment is also available for every addict. And since then, the drug overdose rate has plunged and Portugal now has one of Europe's lowest rates of drug use. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.